Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for such a wonderful good morning. Oh, I love to be in the presence of God. I love to be in the house of the Lord with you. Um, and I think, I believe, and I know that God will speak to us once again through his word. Um, we, we are in this message series called Summer of, of Psalms. And I want you to, to picture this uh, message series as a playlist. How many of you have ever created a playlist on your phone with songs that you like? Come on. Spotify, Apple Music, I don't know what do you use. But most of us, we do that. We create a playlist. I want you to imagine that this message series is a playlist. Because if you don't know, uh, the Psalms are poems that are meant to be sang by people. And so the Jewish people, when they look at the book of Psalms, it's like when, when we look into a playlist of different songs. So during this message series, we, we ask God to cater our selection of Psalms. There's 150 of them. It's impossible for us to do a message series of all of them. But we ask God, God, speak to us through the book of Psalms. Speak to us every week when we choose, when the preacher selects one of these psalms, Lord, lead us into your word, into your heart. What do you want us to know uh, about you? So one thing that is important about the, the, the psalms is that most psalms have a title above them. When you read the, the book of Psalms, you read the chapters, and usually in the small letters, you have some sort of title or description. And today we're going to look into Psalm 84. And Psalm 84, right before verse 1, as we call it, it has, um, it has this information that are, is very important. Many times it's the author or the context on how these Psalms were composed. But this is what this uh, Psalm 84 says right in the beginning. It says, to the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So it shares a note to the choir master, the person who is leading the choir, leading all the musicians and the voices. So it's to be sang according to the Giddith, which we don't know exactly what it means. It can be a musical term. It can be an instrument. But the choir master would know, based on this information, how to sing this psalm. But we also know, and let us know, who composed this psalm. And it says, the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah. So who were these sons of Korah? When we open the book of Genesis and we go to the beginning of the Bible, we see this man, Jacob, had 12 sons. And these 12 sons, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of the tribes, the Levites, they were chosen by God to work in the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle is the place where the Jewish people, they focused their worship to God. And they served from priesthood to worship. So they had to be descendants of Levi. And later in the book of Exodus, we see the story of how Moses and Aaron, the two Levites, they took the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. They crossed the desert to go to the promised land. But when we read the book of Exodus, things aren't as smooth as we would like them to be. The Bible says that plenty of times the people of Israel, they complained 
about being at the desert. They complained on how hard life was being at the desert. So at one point, a man named Korah got 250 other men and he led a rebellion. Basically, it was a rebellion. Who are you to be in charge of all the people kind of rebellion? They, they turned to Moses and Aaron and said, we can also be leaders in, among the people. God is also using us. So who are you to be heading the people of God. So Moses says, simply put, okay, if that's what you want, let's see what God has to say about who he wants as leaders. So there they were, each on one side, Moses and Aaron on one side, Korah, 250 men on the other. And when Moses prays, the Bible says that the ground opens up and swallowed Korah and God sent also fire that consumed those 250 men. So God proved once and for all who had his authority to lead the people of Israel. And although this is a sad story of the Bible, God in his mercy, he spared Korah's descendants. The Korites, they became doorkeepers and custodians for the tabernacle and the temple. And some of the Korites, they became musicians and singers in the tabernacle. They wrote psalms for the people to sing. So the sons of Korah, who wrote this psalm, they were descendants of a rebel. So let's read together Psalm 84. It's not a very long psalm, but this is going to be our meditation today. So let's read together, believing and knowing that a revival can start in our hearts when we read God's Word. Do you believe in that? When we are in God's Word, God can spark something in our hearts and lives. And that's the approach we have to God's Word this morning. So let's read together. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. A wonderful, beautiful psalm. We call this message series Summer of Psalms, and most of the time, and for most of us, summer is holiday time. 
we enjoy, and I think most people still enjoy the heat to go on holidays than waiting for winter time. But no matter how relaxing it is to explore, to go to new places, to be at the beach, to be on the countryside, to discover the, uh, all the beautiful things that Portugal has to offer, I think most of us will agree on this, that there is no place like home. Home is where we belong, where we feel safe, we feel loved. Home is where we don't have to worry about the clothes that we're wearing, if we're wearing any clothes at all, right? Home is a vital part of our lives. Sometimes we talk about kids who came from a, a good home, and sometimes we speak about kids who have come from a broken home. And perhaps there's no greater fear in some of us than being homeless, to not have a home. And Psalm 84 is about being at home with God. And I love that uh, even this last song about based on Psalm 23, it says, your goodness will lead me home. So today we're going to explore this topic. What is like to be at home with God? The Bible shows us that God is a good father that loves his children to be at his home. Have you experienced what it's like to live at home with God? Do you know what it feels like to be at home with God? And that's how we turn our attention to Psalm 84 because it shows us what it looks like. And first, this psalm shows us how we all long for home. A famous poet, Maya Angelou, said, The ache for home lives in all of us. We're all eager to find a place where we feel at home. Most of us were not born in Portugal. This is a temporary home for most of you, but some are, you're doing your best to feel at home in Portugal. And church plays a very important part of that. Every person was made in the image of God. So we all have a longing to be at home with God. And this psalm was written by the sons of Korah at a time that they were not in Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says, My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. It tells us how they, they long to be at home at the temple in the presence of God. And it goes into detail and, and tells us how they're jealous of the sparrow and the swallow because they get to be in the temple of God whenever they, they want to. They longed for the time that they got to worship together with God's people at the courts of the Lord. Because there's something very important in corporative worship. When we get together and worship. We know as Christians... We should know the Bible tells us that we don't have a physical temple anymore. Jesus is our temple. God is meant to be worshipped in spirit and in truth inside our hearts. And in that way, we are also his temple because God lives in us. We don't have the need of a physical place to worship God anymore. But the word of God continues saying that there's something uniquely special when we, God's people, we get together for, to worship God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to steer one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the question is, do we have this longing to worship God together? Each and every one of us, do we long to be at church when the God's people come together? The new believer, someone that has just embraced the faith, usually is someone who has a strong passion about being together at church. Someone that just embraced faith in Jesus, someone that is discovering the beauty of God's family, is someone that doesn't want to miss by anything to be on the Sunday service, to be at prayer meeting, to be at Bible reading or Bible study group, because they have a passion a newfound passion to be in the presence of God. I was reading a statistic this week that kind of shook me. Many years ago, to be considered a committed church member, a church member would be someone who comes to church 90% of times, 90% of Sundays in the year. Back in the day, people would come to church. It was mandatory. It was part of life. But nowadays, in most recent times, a committed church member is considered someone who comes 50% of any given opportunity to come to church and worship with God's people. Not because they're sick or, or because uh, they go on holidays. Just because they had the opportunity to wake up on a Sunday morning and say, I want to come to church. I don't want to go to church today. And this is not to make any of you feel guilty, especially who's watching us online. I, don't, I think they're hearing us online. I think the camera is giving us some, some troubles. It's not to make us feel guilty, but we all need to make an inventory of our hearts. If I don't feel passionate about coming together with God's people to worship, then I need to ask, why not? Sometimes I notice that some of us don't worship, don't like to raise our voices in singing to God. Maybe we don't feel like we have a good voice. Maybe we feel judged. Maybe we feel uncomfortable. But we are choosing not to be part, to participate in something that God intended for us. To become one body, to become one voice, worshiping God and, and loving Him with all our hearts. Several impactful moments in our lives come when we worship God together. So why sometimes we don't feel like being at church? Because I think our longing for, for, for community starts growing when we long for God himself. When we seek God, not just to be at a temple, but to get to be in the presence of the living God. Are we longing for God with all our hearts? Is our love for Him driving our motivation on the day-to-day? -day? Because the more we learn of who God is, the more our hearts will start longing for Him. Psalm 73 verses 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
This is probably one of the strongest love declarations to God. How can someone be in such a passionate relationship for God? Because someone who knows who God is and is finding out more about God, our hearts start to long for him more and more. But even if you don't have that longing for God, you have a longing for home. You have a longing to be accepted. You have a longing for community. You have a longing to feel rested and accepted. And that is because you were made in the image of God. And this longing will only be fulfilled once you are in the presence of God. Jesus told us a parable of the prodigal son. Someone who went away from the father's home. They did, he did everything that he wanted to do with his life. And the Bible explains to us that we're all prodigal sons. But now we need to find our way back home. Our way back to the father. And when we go back to the father, he's not going to uh, be judgmental. He's not going to punish us. But we will experience the hug of the father. We will experience the kiss of the father. He is eager to receive us back home. Home is the place where God wants you and me to be. This psalm was written specifically to Israelites who were in a journey. In a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. Not everyone lived in the capital city close to the temple. So at, at least three times a year, if not four times, people would go, will, would pilgrim to Jerusalem. And as they would sing these songs, they would shape them. They would comfort them along the way. When the Bible talks about home in the spiritual sense, many times it's not talking about a feeling or a place here on earth, but it's talking about eternity, when we will live with God in his home forever in heaven. Home is the final destination for all of us. But this song is saying we cannot forget about the journey because life is a journey. The same way that the people of Israel would go to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God, we're all in a journey to be in the presence of God forever in heaven. Jesus promised, I will go first, but I will prepare a place for you. Jesus told us that he wants us to be with him forever in heaven, and he's going to prepare a home for us. So in this journey, we don't need to cash out and just think, okay, I'm just going to be with Jesus and just wait for my life to be over so that I can be with him forever. No, this psalm reminds us, do not neglect the journey. Don't check out and just wait for your last breath because this life is a pilgrimage. There's a journey, an important journey to be on. So what kind of journey we're on? And this this, uh, this psalm teaches us that we're in a spiritual journey. It says on, in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. God wants you to make you strong for the journey. A journey that's not easy. The journey of life. But God wants to be your strength. In whose hearts are the highways to Zion? On this journey, God wants to make you and me people whose heart has highways to Zion. Now, this is a very 
strange picture because now we know better than before what highways are. So what, what can this possibly mean? Zion is another name for the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, the place that has the presence of God. So it means that following God is not just something mechanical. It's not about rituals. It's not something burdensome to us, but it's something that we need to desire with all our hearts. It means that in our hearts, in this journey of faith, as we follow Jesus, he's going to start retuning our affections. He will start to shape and mold our hearts and form our hearts so that we will start loving the things that God loves. So in this journey, are we letting God carve highways in our hearts? Are we letting God shape our hearts so that we desire most than anything His presence, His peace, and His love, and this relationship with Him? I think we've all seen what it's like to build a road or build a highway. It's messy. It's stinky. It's hard work. Some of the roads on this planet have taken years, even decades, to be fully formed. But once they're established, they last a lifetime. They serve and they bless people. And we're able to use them anytime we want to use. God is shaping our hearts and carving highways to His presence. It means that God doesn't want a ritual from us. God doesn't want us... To feel, no, I have to go to church. I need to serve God. What is he going to think of me? No, it's not with that kind of pressure. Because God is going to stir our hearts and shape us and mold us to desire him more than anything that we might on this planet. Verse 6 says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. We don't know where this valley was, but the picture here is of a dry, of an arid place. Because the surroundings of Jerusalem, many of those places and the roads that would lead to Jerusalem were through the wilderness. They were through the desert. But as God's people make their way on their journey through the desert, their worshiping presence turns into a place of springs. As we walk through the desert and arid places of our lives, seasons of drought, seasons of feeling empty, as we go through those valleys, God is able to bring life to those places through our witness and through our worship. And one of the most cherished examples that I have in my heart about this, someone who lived this, was my grandmother on my mother's side she already went to be with the Lord many many years ago but since my grandfather was sort of disabled she was the one that had to work really hard to provide for my for my mom and and her sisters and one day she found out how much God loved her and how Jesus gave his life to save her and from that moment on it became the most important relationship in her life and her love for God impacted so many people inside the church, outside the church. But at the end of her days, she struggled with cancer. And as anyone that um, 
is afflicted by cancer, we understand the consequences and the physical toll it has in one's body. But she never, ever, ever let the fire in her heart for God burn out. She would always and make sure that she would come to church even if she needed to be dragged. She wanted to be in God's presence, worshiping, singing to Jesus, even if it was with her flimsy voice, because she understood that she owed her life to Jesus. Until the end of her breaths here on this planet, she made it a priority for her to live with God and to worship God. And so many people, even myself, I'm impacted by her example, about her witness, about her worship, her neighbors. Still today, many years after she passed away, all of our neighbors in, in Madeira, where she's from, they, they know her and they recognize her as a woman of faith, of example, where people would go and she would always have a comforting voice. A comforting presence in, in their lives. What impact is God calling you to have in the environment around you? Verse 6 says, the early rain also covers it with pools. Because on this journey, we do what we can do. We worship God and we want to be faithful to Him. But rain comes from the above. And only God can make it rain. And rain, here we can read it as God's provision of, of God's blessings. Our efforts can make an impact, but it's only because of God's blessings. On this journey, we will experience the goodness and the kindness of God. And God's favor, God's blessings, they will be poured on our lives and they will form pools. If you ever watch National Geographic, you know the, the TV network, the magazine. If you like wildlife in general, you know that in the desert areas, there's several, many times lack, severe lack of water. But when it rains, it pours. And when it pours, it forms these pools. And at those pools, you will see all kinds of animals coming together. You will see the lion, you will see the cheetah, the rhino. I'm going to name the, the, the big five in South Africa. You, but you will see giraffes, you will see buffaloes all coming together. It's like they've established a truce so that they can all gain strength from drinking from these pools. Because when God is able to provide for you a pool in the middle of your hardships, God is able to provide for you in the middle of turmoil. He takes care of us. When we have our hearts set in God, He will bless us and make sure that we will not die on this journey, that, but that we will make, home, make it home. Within one month, both Gabby and, and I, we lost all of our keys. Both are set of keys. So uh, think, of, think about it. If you only have one, one key for your apartment, one key for the building, one key for the car, I advise you go make a second copy and give it to someone that you trust because you will need that. Life can happen and you will lose keys. And I, I heard this, um, this illustration from um, Ra our brother Ravi Zacharias. He was 
one of the most remarkable Christian apologists of this generation, he recently passed away. But he told this story about his grandson, Jude. He was around three years old when his mom lost her keys. And she was going crazy around the house, just putting everything out of, out of place because she really wanted to find the keys. At one point, she slapped her forehead and she said, I must be losing my mind. Because she could swear that she had seen the keys in, at home. So Jude, she, uh, he hears her and comes to her and he says, Mommy, whatever you do, please don't lose your heart because I live in there. So this kid was so worried that mom was going to lose his heart as well. And may this be a reminder for us to not lose our hearts. Yes, our journey sometimes will be hard and sometimes our sandals were wear a little thin. But we can depend on God in this journey that we're on. He will get us home in the strength that he provides. If you could spend one day anywhere in the world for 24 hours, 24, 24 whole hours, where would it be? Where would you spend? Sorry? Colombia. 24 hours in Colombia. That sounds nice. Do you want to join us? Let's all go. Have you ever thought about that? If you could be anywhere in the world for 24 hours, where it would be? Verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. If you could be anyone, if you could occupy any position in society, who would you be? Verse 10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Um, to paraphrase These verses, Eugene Peterson uh, said it this way, and we're going to put on screen. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. There's a reward for us. There's a comfort. There's a, a purpose for us in the presence of God that we will not be able to find elsewhere. I remember when I was around nine or ten years old, and, we, and, and the church would gather in one of the rooms in our house. It was kind of designed to be the, the, the church, the place for the church to gather. And I remember I was about this age when I simply told my mom, Mom, I don't want to, it was a midweek service, I think a prayer meeting, and I told my mom, Mom, I don't want to go today. And my mom is very wise. So she said, okay, if you don't want to go, I'll see you in a couple of hours. And that's fine. I was happy because I wanted to watch TV. I wanted to have fun on my own. But I still remember that I try to have fun and I try to do lots of things on my own. But as much as I tried, I couldn't enjoy my time by myself. I felt lonely. I felt bored. I felt I was the only one missing out on, on everyone getting together. And then I was trying to do another thing. So when I struggle about seeing a purpose of coming together, maybe it's not necessary. I will always remember of this experience. 
Because every time I don't, I make the choice of not coming to church, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on something that God is doing with us collectively. It doesn't mean that every time I'm going to uh, get shivers and I'm going to feel that I'm touching the, the throne of God. No. But sometimes and many times, God is going to visit us in a very special way. And I need to be ready. And I need to be ready to receive God's word. I need to be ready for the impact that God once again wants to do in my heart and life. There's a reward for us in this life and in the life to come that is better than anything that we can possibly imagine. Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He is the source of life and light. He's a shield to all of our fears. Verse 11, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Do you trust that the reward that you have in God is better than anything that you might find on this earth? Do you believe that the riches that are found in the presence of God at God's home are best than anywhere else in this world? When we come home to God, God will always give us his best. His home is great. His reward is great. His purposes are great. His love is, is better than life itself, the Bible shows us. On this earth, yes, we will be tempted to think that we will find happiness somewhere else. But don't be fooled. Because when we come together to be at the presence of God, when we are together in God's home, we will experience his goodness that is better than life. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses six to nine say, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at, the, at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or, or away, we make it our way, our aim to please Him. We spoke about the longing. We spoke about the journey and the reward. But how do we get home? What is the way home to God? And the answer comes to us in verses 8 and 9. O oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O oh God. Look on the face of your anointed. When they sang this song, they were thinking about the king, most probably King David or King Solomon. Because as the people would cross the desert in very dangerous places, they, they were um, easy targets to ill-intentioned people. To be robbed. They would bring treasures and gifts to the house of the Lord. So people that wanted to have an easy profit, they would target the pilgrims. But the king was their protector. The king would have armies designated to be in specific areas in the desert. So they would protect the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. And they, they pray and they say, O God of Jacob, behold our shield, O God. Behold your anointed one, the one that is protecting us from evil. Nowadays, we know that this king also is representing Jesus. We're able 
to be at home with God and to arrive safely at home because of Jesus, God's anointed one. He is our Messiah. He is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. He is the one that is making sure that we will not perish in the desert of life. He is the one that is taking care of us, protecting us from the evil one, as we've also sang this morning. Jesus is the way to come home to the Father. Jesus was the only one who was able to declare, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is inviting us to arrive at home, to be at home with God, because this is what he created us for. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is the one that made an open path before us to be in God's presence. So when we come before God, we will not be welcomed by his wrath, but we will be welcomed by his love and his grace and his provision. I want to invite the worship team to come. We're going to celebrate communion together at church again. It gives me, it's for me, I have to, it's a very emotional moment today. Because we will be celebrating communion together in this place after many months where we weren't able to. And celebrating communion is pointing to the anointed one of God. It's pointing to our King. It's pointing to our Jesus that gave his life for us. And because of him, we're able to be in this journey with God. That we know one day we will be in heaven. One day we will arrive at home. The home that he prepared for us. This gives great comfort. This gives great peace into our hearts. The team is distributing the symbols, the bread and the wine. The lighter cups are juice. If you don't drink alcohol, feel free to take these symbols and hold to these symbols. Don't take them straight away. We want to take them together. But as we remember the people who wrote this psalm, the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, the descendants of a rebel, they didn't deserve to be in the presence of God worshiping. The same way that you and I, we don't deserve to be at home with God. We don't deserve to be in the presence of God. But the same way that God showed his love and mercy to the descendants of Korah, God has shown his love and mercy to us today. Because we're all rebels. We've all fall short of the glory of God. But because of Jesus, we're welcomed together into the very presence of God. And enjoy and experience his love and his grace. So I want to invite the worship team to continue singing. And as you hold to these symbols, you may stand with me, with us all. And let's worship the Lord just before we take the symbols together.